All right, I want to start out today, and uh, maybe you've heard this uh, phrase before. Uh, if you're my age, you probably said it when you were a kid, but it's this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, I used to say that, you know, people calling me names when I was a, a kid. You say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, it's just, there's some truth to that in that, uh, you know, weapons, sticks, stones, I mean, they can do you bodily harm and break bones, um, and we, there's some truth in that we can choose, especially those we don't have a relationship with or, or we're not in a, a place of authority over us, we can choose to hear and respond and understand that, hey, those are not, those are not truths. But words can really do harm to people, especially to those that uh, we're in relationship with and we use words sometimes and we say things. They can be harmful and do serious damage uh, to people at times, whether we're in a relationship or we've got authority over. Uh, and maybe we've been harmed by those in authority over us who have used words. Words can actually uh, harm us because they do carry a lot of power. We've been studying uh, the book of James uh, each weekend and we're continuing this weekend as we dive into James chapter three. And we're gonna learn today uh, what James has to teach us about the power of the word and the control that we need to have over our tongue. So I want to jump right in here, beginning in James chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the body, parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord, I do pray that you'd teach us today, Lord. Help us through these challenging verses, Lord. Help us to learn uh, about the power of the tongue, Lord, and that uh, our words uh, can have impact on people. And Father God, I pray that you'd help us also uh, to learn how that, that tongue can be controlled. Uh, guide us through this today, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in these verses of Scripture that we just read, uh, we learn several things about the power of the tongue to affect things and about the need for the tongue to be controlled. And if our tongues are going to be controlled in a way that's going to uh, bring glory to God and be a benefit to others as well as ourselves, then we need to know some things about the use of our tongue as well as the power of the tongue. And James begins this uh, letting us know that our words will be judged. 
He says in verse 1, he tells us, you know, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Those who teach, those who are often using their words to, uh, to help others or to teach in some way are going to be judged by the things that come out of our mouths. Uh, we have been given uh, this responsibility and we need to understand that. Listen, every word that comes out of our mouth, we're going to be responsible for. Jesus tells us, he says, I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Now, we, we who teach uh, often speak more words because we're teaching often. We're, we're seeking to use, hopefully, the gift that God has given us. And we've been given this responsibility to be able to help people understand and grow in truth. And because we've been entrusted with this responsibility, we're expected to use this gift for the glory of God. This is a responsibility, and with responsibility um, becomes uh, 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 things that we're entrusted with, 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 this, uh, with this gift. We've been given great responsibilities. Jesus tells us everyone who's been given much, from much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. If you've been given a teaching responsibility or a teaching gift, you've been given this great responsibility and you need to keep this in mind. Teaching and authority and leading are not positions that we've been given to exalt ourselves. But this is the problem. Sometimes people are given a, a, a responsibility and instead of using that responsibility for God's glory, we use it to exalt our own interests and our own selves. This has happened throughout history. You know, people, pride invades someone's life and they, they begin to use a real gift for their own glory and honor. In Jesus' own day, as well as today, or people that seek their own exaltation. Um, in Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking about uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he says this, he says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Listen, they were doing some of these things. They'd been given real responsibilities and gifts, but they were using them for their own glory. Look at me. Come, greet me. I deserve this. Do you know what I do each day? I, 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 I'm serving the Lord. You should respect me. They're using it for their own exaltation. Even if they are teaching truth, and this is where we need to recognize today, even for pastors, you know, when we begin with responsibilities, don't let pride, those of you who have been gifted with teachers, and I'm speaking to myself, we've got to recognize pride is something that can invade our lives. We need to keep our focus and our eyes fixed upon the Lord, reflecting things back to him continually. That's what we're called to do. Listen, the, 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 the Pharisees, I mean, they may have understood truth and the, the things they were teaching truth. And, and the people, you know, they may be speaking truth and the people should listen to them. Jesus even said, he says, you must be careful to do uh, everything they tell you, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they teach. He recognized their real position of authority, but he says, listen, their character is not good. And they're going to face judgment, not only for the things they spoke, but for the ways they acted in regards to their own teaching as well. Judgment will come. And this is something 
myself, and all of us need to keep in mind. We are going to be judged. We are going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. Even as Christians, while we won't be judged in terms of our salvation, we're going to be judged. Real Christians, we're going to face the judgment seat judgment seat of Christ where we're going to have to answer for the things we did, uh, both good and bad. We've got to realize this. So teachers here today, those who speak, you've been entrusted with a gift. Understand, you're going to be judged for that. So I have a question. I want you to think through this. How are you teaching? How are you using the gift that God has given you? Are you using it for your own exaltation and glory? Or are you using it for the glory of God? Now, listen, I get this. We can, we can rationalize, well, God's given me this gift, I gotta use it. But be careful. We need to be very careful in using it and, and doing it for his glory. Because pride is a, is a sneaky type of sin. It will invade our lives and it will ruin ministries, it will ruin lives. We've got to be careful do not let pride creep in. And we need to take our job seriously. We need to be preparing and growing in our knowledge so that we can teach better. Recognize this gift as a great responsibility that will be judged. We need to guard against pride and self-exaltation. I'm gonna to get to in a few minutes as we talk through how we really can do this, how we can use our words to teach and and when we're recognizing uh, that we're going to be judged and how we can live according to that. But keep this in mind that our words are going to be judged. And our words are going to be judged because our words have power. Look, at, in verses 3 through 6, James gives three illustrations uh, relating to the power of our words. He talks about bits in the mouths of horses. And he talks about a rudder of a ship and a small fire as well. In the, uh, a bit in the mouth of a horse and a rudder on a ship, these are small things. I mean, a bit in the mouth of a horse is, is like about this big, and, a, and, and a, a rudder compared to the entire ship is very small. But those two little things can direct the entire course that the animal or the ship is going to take. It controls the direction of it. Likewise, our tongues and the words that come off our tongues, they have great power to affect the course of our own life as well as the course of other people's lives. Parents, your words, your tongues into the lives of your kids can have powerful impact for good or for bad in their lives. Recognize that. Your words are powerful. As we're raising kids, as we're speaking to them, we speak truth and we speak love and we speak into their lives so that we can help direct their lives in a positive way. Our words can be used powerfully in positive ways. Paul, as Christians, listen, we've been given this great gift of salvation. So it is a great gift. And we've been given responsibility. You know, if you're a Christian, a real Christian who trusted in Jesus Christ, the reason you're still here today and not in heaven is because God's got work for you to do. The things he's prepared for us. And one of those things, for sure, is to tell other people about what God has done in our life, the salvation he's given us. Paul, in Romans 10, 15, he talks about this. He says, when he's talking about sharing the gospel with people, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Those people that are coming to share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. It's, it's, beautiful. it's a beautiful thing when we can 
impart truth and share truth and share the good news, it can change someone's eternity. When we share the truth of the gospel with someone and they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, they go from on a path to hell, eternal separation from God, to a path to heaven, to being with the Lord for all eternity. This is good news and a great responsibility. We cannot hide and, and keep to ourselves this great gift that God has given us. We need to use this, and our tongues need to speak these things. This good news, it is a beautiful and wonderful thing to be used for God's eternal purposes. But our tongues also have the power uh, to destroy. This third illustration that Paul gives, or James gives in uh, James 3, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You know, in the last several weeks, if you turn on the news, you see uh, the, the fires in California in the Napa Valley area. I mean, while we don't know how this started, I mean, these fires have raged over time because of the very extremely dry conditions in this, and they've grown, and I mean, it's already consumed over 170,000 acres of land. 20,000 people, 20,000 people have had to evacuate the area. You've seen videos of people driving through. It's, it's scary, this fire that's going on. 40 people have lost their lives, and there's 400 that are missing currently. Well, no one knows how these fires started yet, I guarantee they started out small. And these small fires, whether it's a a campfire that wasn't put out correctly or a, a, a lightning strike or a, a spark in some way in the right environment or it's maybe the wrong environment can spread massively very quickly. In one day, these fires spread 20,000 acres in one single day. It can spread very fast. The same thing can be said of our tongue. It can spread so fast. A careless word off of our tongue in the wrong environment, in the world of gossip. Hey, did you hear about, I'm sorry, I'm covering my mic. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what they did? It can spread like that and destroy someone's life. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that at some point. A lie was spread, or maybe a shade of truth was spread. Maybe you've been on the other end of that. You didn't really mean to do damage. You didn't really mean to start a forest fire. But a careless word has come off your lips, off of your tongue, and done real damage into someone's life. Our words can rip things apart and destroy just like a wildfire during the dry season. And I'll tell you, once it leaves our tongues, it is very hard to fix the damage that is done. Just like a fire when it destroys so many thousands of acres and forests and trees, those trees that have taken years to grow, they aren't, they aren't fixed overnight. It's taking years and years and years for some of these forests to get back to where they are. Maybe hundreds of years. Same with our words. The damage it does isn't easily fixed by an I'm sorry. It can do real damage. We need to recognize that our words will be judged and our words have power uh, to, uh, to destroy as well as direct in people's lives, especially our words with those we're in relationship with or have authority over. 
So, we recognize these things, all right? They're going to be judged. There's power in our words. And when we recognize these things, we want to we want to take steps to be able to control our tongues. But I have some bad news for you. Our tongues are too powerful for mere human control. Listen to what James says here. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Uh-oh. That, this is not good news. Think about this. We're going to be judged for this powerful force that's part of us, but we can't control it? That's because the direct control of the tongue comes from a different source than our mouths. Because look what James says in verses 11 and 12. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James gives another analogy asking if, if, if what, what, what this thing is, a, a freshwater or saltwater spring, can it produce two different things or a tree? No. The, what grows on a tree um, is determined by what the tree is. If it's an apple tree, it's going to give you apples. If it's a, 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 a freshwater spring, you're going to get fresh water. What is produced is determined by what that uh, is. The same is true of what comes off the tongue. We need to recognize that ultimately our tongues are controlled by the one who controls our hearts. Remember what Jesus said in uh, the Gospel of Luke? He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I want to say that again. The mouth speaks what comes out of our mouths, speaks what the heart is full of. Who do you have controlling and guarding your heart? I want you to think about that. As you do, listen to what the author of Proverbs tells us. He says, above all else, above everything else, he says, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do, everything you speak is determined by what's coming out of your heart, of who you are. I'm not talking about your physical beating heart. I'm talking about the, the center of us, who we are. It's in our heart. But here, to me, as, I, as I'm preparing this message and thinking through this, this is the $24,000 question. Because if we can't even tame our tongues, how in the world are we going to guard and control our hearts? I think this is a harsh reality for us because I don't think we can really do it. But praise God. There's good news. This would be terrible if the message ended here, isn't it? But there's good news. There's great news, in fact. God can control and guard our hearts. But what can we do for him to do that? What, what can we do to have Christ guarding and controlling our hearts? I want to read to you a, a, a scripture, a section of scripture that Paul tells us in Philippians 4, and probably a lot of you are familiar with it, but I want, I want to read it to you, and I want you to take this in. It says this, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Listen to what he says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. God 
will guard your hearts. And he gives us a number of things that are responsibilities for us so that we can experience this guarding of heart and this control fully in our lives as Christians. One of the things we need to understand is that first, you need to be in Christ. He ends, up, ends, up, ends this verse here. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You need to be in Christ Jesus. How do we become in Christ Jesus? What does this mean? Well, to be in Christ means that Christ is in you. He's in us. We've received him as our Savior. It means you're a real Christian. You're not just somebody who comes to church and, oh, Jesus, yeah, I know him. Yeah, he died for my sins. Yeah, great. Excuse me while I go on with life. And all this stuff comes out of your mouth continually. You know, we talked last week about what James saying. It's like, hey, we got to examine ourselves. Is our life tra- being transformed? Is it changing? Now, I understand the maturing process. We'll talk through that a little bit. But uh, there should be differences in us. A real Christian is someone who's recognizing who Jesus really is and that he died and resurrected. He died for their sins and resurrected from the dead. He's not some fire insurance policy that says, you know what, I'm all right, you know, Jesus said he died, okay, I'm gonna believe in him. You know what, but Muhammad says this about, I'll, I'll, I'll do that too. And you know what, there's some good things in Buddhism. Ah, that's, that's fine, I'll, I'll just cover my bases. Listen, there's no covering your bases. There's only one base to cover. Jesus, he's the only hope. Jesus is the only hope. The real Jesus, the Jesus who is God, who died for your sins and resurrected from the dead. He's the one that we gotta come to and say, you're my only hope. When we look, I mean, so many of us, you know what, we, we try to go through this life with, with, okay, I'm gonna dabble in this Christianity a little bit. I, I, got, I got a little bit of Jesus and I'm gonna, you know, I gotta control my own life. I gotta make my own decisions here. Look out in our society and tell me how that's working out. It's not. It's, it's just being destroyed. It continues to veer further and further away. It's because Jesus is the only hope. We need to turn to him and trust him. He's the author of life. He's, he, he's given us his word so that we can follow after him. He's created you personally. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows exactly what it is and what it takes to live life. He came down here and did it and sacrificed for you and for me. He's our only hope. We need to be in Christ. If we're going to have our, our hearts guarded and controlled by Christ, we need to recognize who he really is and be in him, trusting him fully, fully for our salvation. So realize that. Recognize who he is and that you need him. Completely. We've got to be in Christ. Are you in Christ? If you're not sure, you'll have an opportunity at the end of the message to turn and do what the Bible says, fully trusting in him. But that's not all. It's not just about being a Christian. All right, I've trusted in Christ. Now I can go off and, you know, do what I want. No, we see in these verses uh, that to have Christ guard and control our hearts, we need not only be in Christ, but we need to be rejoicing in Christ. Okay, well, this doesn't sound so hard. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, Paul tells us. Sounds easy. Who doesn't want to be joyful all the time? But what does that look like? What does that really look like? Does it mean that I suppress sadness and instead just skip around in life? Hey, guess what? I lost my job today. Woo! Or, you know, does it mean we, we go when we're in times of mourning, ah, you know, someone I love just died. We just had a couple of deaths. Does it mean we just, you know, are cheering all these things? No, you know, to... To guard our hearts in Christ, 
doesn't mean you have to have a stone cold heart and never be sad. Rejoicing in the Lord is really more about an attitude of contentment and peace and hope that transcends our circumstances. So when we lose our job and we're following after Christ, you know what? I have a peace and a contentment that God is fully in control. It's okay. You know, here's a little example. You know, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I missed, my, my flight got canceled when I was going out to Dominican Republic. I was really looking forward to this trip, going out, serving. All right, it's gonna be on Monday. And then it got canceled again. But you know what, I'll tell you, it's like God's in control. He knows exactly what's going on. He's not, he's not freaking out over this. We got a great team down there ministering. I, I don't need to be there. It gave me some opportunities to do some other things here, to visit some people I needed to visit and uh, prepare for some things. But it's, it's just trusting the Lord, no matter what the circumstances. We don't have to fret about the circumstances of life. We can be joyful. When we lose that job, we don't have to despair. When someone we love dies who's in the Lord, we don't have to mourn as the world mourns. Now, are we still going to be sad? Are we going to mourn through that? Yes, but we mourn in hope, not as the hopeless do. So we need to be rejoicing in Christ. This is one of the things as, uh, we need to do. But to really do that, to really rejoice in Christ, we need to be trusting in Christ in every situation. Verse 6 goes on and says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In every situation, we're going to the one we recognize has full power and control over all things. We're trusting in him in every situation. Now, this doesn't just happen when we receive Christ as Savior. Receive Christ as Savior? Whew. No, we're still, we're, you know what? It's, it's like growing when we have a baby into this world. You know, it's like, okay, here they are. Go on, I'm done with you. Oh, we are to raise them and we grow and they learn and they mature. Same thing for Christians. You know what? Trusting in Christ, certainly we trust him for our salvation and that's a moment and he saves us completely. The sanctification process is a, is a process. We grow, we take steps of faith, we grow in him, we trust him more and more, we learn to go to him with uh, all of our concerns and cares, trusting in him. These are things we need to do over time as we, as we grow in our trust in him. But we need to be taking those steps. This is why it's important that we have relationships with people and we, we're, we're connected to the church. It's important to be part of a church body where you've got people that care about you, that can come alongside of you. And it's more than just coming here on the weekend. It's being connected in a small group with people, a small group of other believers who can come alongside you during those challenging times when you lose that job to help you, to encourage you, to keep you focused during that time when you lose a loved one, to come alongside, to provide comfort and care during those times as well. We need that. God has designed us to need that. We aren't lone rangers. He's left the church here. It's the body of Christ. We need one another. And we need his powerful word. His words carry great power. And when we can speak his words of comfort, speak his words of truth into the lives of others, it is powerful. But we need to understand this is a process. It doesn't just happen naturally. The problem for us, though, we always, we're all fretting and worrying about so many things is because we often fail to do what he tells us to do. Instead, we're putting our own interests ahead of ourselves. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's saying, why do you worry about all these things? 
He says, look at the birds of the air. God cares for them. And you, created in the image of God, you are much more valuable than them. He says, why are you worrying about what you're eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep? He says, God provides all these things. But he tells us something. He says, seek first. This is what we're not doing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, the things you need, will be provided to you. But too often, we're seeking our own glory. Hey, you see what I did the other day? Check me out. Look at me. Isn't this a great gift God's given me? I get to stand up here. We're seeking our own glory. Or maybe we're seeking our own comfort. Oh, you know what? That's too hard. I don't want to serve today in the church. It's, like, I know the thing. I just, it's good to sleep in. We're not seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. We're seeking first our own glory, our own comfort, our own wealth. Me, me, me. We've got to fight against this. It's not, the, it's not the way of life. It's not the way of real life. The way of real life is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting in him, the one who carries all power and authority in all things. And as we take those steps of faith, as we take steps, reflect glory back to him, as we take steps of faith serving him, as we take uh, steps of faith sacrificing for him, seeking first his kingdom and his glory, God works in powerful ways inside of us so that we can experience his peace and contentment that transcends all understanding. God is good. We need to trust in him and we need to take these steps of growing in him, seeking him. And as we do that, he's going to guard and protect our hearts and he will tame our tongues. Are you doing these things we just talked about in Philippians? Are you, are you trusting him and seeking his wisdom? Are you rejoicing in him, having a contentment and a peace, even in the midst of, of, of difficult situations? Are you finding your rest and contentment in him? He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. When we do these things, that's when we're going to experience his great protection and guarding of our hearts. And it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And as he guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, and he fills our hearts, it's then that your tongue will be tamed by the only one who can truly tame it, Jesus Christ. He is the one who has the power. But we need to let him be controlling and guarding our hearts completely as we trust in him and we're in Christ, as we rejoice in him, as we continue to trust in him in every situation. Who guards your heart? Are you guarding it? Are you protecting yourself? Or is it Christ? If it's not Christ, know and understand that the one who guards your heart, if, you're, if they're thinking it's you, I'll tell you, it's not you, it's your sin nature who's being uh, ruled by Satan and his demons and it will always produce garbage eventually. It will always seek to produce your own glory and it will lead you astray and will cause damage. It will cause damage. Let Christ rule and reign in your heart. Let him guard and control it. Put your trust in him. If you're not trusting in him for your salvation, turn to him today. Recognize the truth of who he is and what he's done and turn to him completely as your only hope for salvation. He says when we receive him and we receive him by believing in who he really is, he's given the right to become children of God. And his word tells us in Romans, he says, if we confess with our mouth 
really believing, if our, our heart is speaking what we really believe out of our mouths, he says, if you confess with your mouth the true reality of your belief uh, of that Jesus is Lord and that he died for your sins and resurrected from the dead and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He comes in and you are in Christ and then we can begin walking and trusting him fully as we rejoice in him. Otherwise, without Christ, our, our tongue is going to be a restless evil full of deadly poison. So if you're not in Christ, turn and receive him today. And if you are here in Christ, if he's indwelling you, take those steps, follow what his word says, trust him in all things, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, let him guard your heart as you rejoice, as you trust him in every circumstance that you face, as you rejoice in those circumstances for his glory and for his honor. And let him use you powerfully for his glory and direct you to use your tongue in a positive way that will impact not only your life, but the lives of others as well. Let's go ahead and pray. You know, in the course of that, uh, that song, it says, my flesh may fail. I'll tell you, your flesh will fail you. If you're trusting in your own ways, it's really directed and coming from Satan. Don't, don't do that. Your flesh will fail you. But in Christ... Those of us who are in Christ, who are following after him, rejoicing in him, trusting in him in all things. He, he will never fail you. He will guide and direct you and use you for the glory of God. And he will use the words that come out of your mouth for greater impact on those you are in relationship with, those he's given you authority over, so that you, they can be used for eternal purposes and you can be used for eternal purposes. Let him control and tame your tongue by guarding and controlling your heart. Trust in him completely and follow after him and be used for his glory. Have a great day. Go in peace.